0: Hey, I want to just do something fun because we're talking about marriage this morning. Uh, can I have uh, all the married people? Can you stand up? Can you stand up with me? All the married people. All right. I, I just want to. I just want to do something fun. So if you've if you've been married for less than three years, have a seat. Okay. All right. Okay. Less than five years. Wow. Okay. Less than ten. Less than 12. I did that so I could stay standing. <laughs> Less than 15. I- I'm sitting down now. Less than 20. Okay. Less than 25. Wow. 27. How about thirty years? Wow. Thirty five years? <laughs> Forty years. Wow. Forty five years. <laughs> it's competition. Forty seven years. Cool. Fifty years. 55? Where are we at, Mary and Bruce? 50. 50. 55. Wow. That's really cool. It's just fun to see the different lengths of marriages represented in this place. Um, And it's relevant because the next two weeks we are talking about marriage. And This week and next week, since we're talking about marriage, it happens to land perfectly uh, on either side of Valentine's Day. So men, for those whose wives care, I can see mine over in the corner, I'll say that again. Valentine's Day. Yeah. Over the next couple of weeks, um, on the theme of marriage, we're going to talk about the two roles of marriage. We're going to talk about the wife, and we're going to talk about the husband. And we're doing this in following with Paul's progression of thought in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to 32. And I've entitled this week's message, A Wife's Response. And I've entitled next week's message, A Husband's Response. Because I want to frame what we're talking about this week, I want to frame what we're talking about next week... In the understanding that how women respond to and honor their husbands in marriage and how men respond to and love their wives in marriage is ultimately a response of trust to Jesus Christ as Lord. We need to frame it in that. Our response to our spouse is ultimately about trust in Jesus Christ. Because it takes faith for a woman to read wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord and respond appropriately and it takes faith for a man to read love your wife as Christ loved the church and lay down your life for her and respond appropriately faith in Jesus Christ has to be the motivation for both of those things you see when we when these kinds of commands are read when these kinds of commands are heard apart from faith in Jesus, from the perspective of the world, the response to them is likely going to be anger or it's going to be despair because these commands are incredibly difficult and they confront the spirit of the world and they confront our pride and they confront our selfishness and they force us to examine our willingness to lay down our view of marriage and lift up Christ's design for marriage. The command given by God to women in marriage is completely counter to what the spirit of the world is trying to convince women of. And so, apart from faith, and if we're just honest, sometimes in faith, let's be honest, we're not. Perfect just because we believe in Jesus, there can be this clash between God's command and the world's ideals or things that fire off in our flesh. There are times throughout history and different cultural moments where certain commands in God's word are met with stronger resistance in the world than at other times. And right now, saying wives are to submit to their husbands is like playing with matches when you're surrounded by explosives. Like even in the church, as we went to read the scripture this morning, there was a response before it was even read. And it's because of the influence of the world that pushes ideals about what it means to be a woman, about what it means to be a man, often under the banner of things like gender equality and the empowerment of women. Now, I want to be very clear, there is no issue with the empowerment of women. In fact, if people knew their history, it's God's Word, it's Christianity, where the acknowledgement, where the empowerment of the value of women actually began. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, championed the value of women in a society that did not value them at all. Christianity has always been on the front lines of giving value to women. So we can and we should confidently embrace the honor that God has bestowed upon women. That should be easy for us as followers of Jesus. But like so many things in our culture right now, in order for us to support something, we need to understand what it is that's meant by that thing. We have to properly define our terms and we have to define them according to God's word. And what we will find is the world's version of equality, the world's version of empowerment, and much of what is being pushed under that banner is out of line with God's word. Is out of line what God says is good for women and is ultimately not good for them because the world is pressing women To be what they were not designed to be. It's pressing them to go against values that God has ingrained in their very creation and their very purpose. Let me just give you an extreme example. Part of the movement of equality and empowerment of women means that women should have access to abortion at any point that they choose. That is not empowerment of women. That is wholeheartedly against the good design of God for women be fruitful and multiply. It is empowering them to be to what they are not called to be. To think that a woman cannot be fully a woman if there's a child, is foolishness. Much of the world's idea of empowerment and equality is not beneficial. For women because the world is telling women to be what they're not designed to be. And it makes sense. It makes sense that the world is going to do this because the world does not acknowledge the one who created us. The world does not acknowledge God himself. So how can the world understand the design that God has made, in this case, for women? So for example, I think it's fair in relation to this morning's topic of wives submit to your husbands to say, There is a significant movement to convince women that they have been stuck under the thumb of men, that they have been trapped in a patriarchal society for too long that doesn't benefit them. And the right thing to do would be to rebel against men and take power for themselves. And there's a lot of messaging around what this looks like, but certainly one of those ideas is you do not submit to a man. Now, I think it's important, again, to acknowledge why this idea would be championed in the world. This idea that women need to take power and not submit to men. It will be at least partially the result of corrupt male leadership, which leads to the mistreatment of women, which leads to the mistreatment of anyone who is under that leadership, whether it be women or children. We should readily acknowledge there is a danger in being under a man's authority if he does not have the character to support his position. Whether that's as a husband, whether that is in the workplace, whether that is in government, whether that is in the church. There is danger if men do not have the character to support the position that God Has given them. And we have seen the results of this. And it usually affects women and it usually affects children most because, in God's design, women are more vulnerable than men. Peter, when he teaches about husbands and wives in his first letter, he writes this in chapter 3, verse 7. He says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So that your prayers may not be hindered. That is serious, man. Like just a side note, right? like live with your wives in an understanding way, or God will not listen to you. We need to sit with that one for a while. But there are different thoughts around what Peter means when he says that the woman is the weaker vessel. But what that does not mean is it does not have anything to do with value. The world right now would interpret Peter's statement as a value statement. To say that a woman is weaker is to say that she is of less value, and that is not true at all. To say a woman is weaker than a man is to acknowledge the reality that can be seen in the most obvious way, which is physical. Men are designed to be stronger. Men have more testosterone. We are built. We can build muscle easier because of it, and that is a design thing, not a value thing. It's how God made us to be based on the purpose that he has given us. From the Garden of Eden, the man is to work and the man is to keep. And that word keep means to guard. That word keep means to protect. That is what God has given men to do. The call, they, we are called to protect our wives. We are called to protect women in general. That's why we're stronger. That's why we're bigger. That's it. I love what Matt Chandler says about this, I think I've said it here before, he he has this quote, he says, when there's danger, a man goes down so the women and the children go free. Like, I think that's true. Like, if someone is coming at my family, I'm not going, hey, Kate, you got this. (laughs) Everyone in here goes, wait, no, that's not right. No, if, if someone's coming at my family, I'm taking the hit. I'm going down so that Kate and my children can go free. Like that is the design that God has given men. That's how he's called us to act. And Jesus would say, there is no greater love than laying down your life for another person. And so that's how men are called to act regardless of how the world would push back against that. It's loving. So when we talk about male leadership and the corruption of it, which causes women at times to stand against it, We're in this space where we have to acknowledge things that are true. The first thing that we have to acknowledge is that God has designed His creation to be led by men. That is the first thing that we need to acknowledge. The second thing we need to acknowledge is because of sin and because of corruption in the heart of man, that leadership is not what it should be. And because of that, it will cause hurt. But the third thing is, it doesn't mean it's a bad design just because we broke it. See, something can be true, yet the conclusion about how to fix it can be false. And that's predominantly what's happening in the world. The world would say, well, men have predominantly been in positions of power, they've been in positions of authority, and they've abused that power, which has not been good for women or children or anyone else, and so let's remove them. Whether it be in the home, whether it be in society, let's not be under men anymore. And it's an understandable conclusion from a worldly perspective, but it doesn't mean that it's right. See, what God's Word would say is He designed His creation to work with men as the head. And the answer is not flipping creation upside down, which is what the world wants to do. The resolution is Is Jesus Christ God's design is good but men are broken and men need to be redeemed through Jesus Christ men need to be empowered by the Spirit of God to be what we were created to be the answer to the problem of male leadership is the gospel of Jesus Christ it is the answer that we have. It is Christ getting a hold of the hearts of men and making them brand new and working on His children that He already has and making them more into the image of Jesus Christ. That will solve everything. You see, ultimately, if God designed women to lead, the result would maybe be different, but not better because a woman's heart is as sinful as a man. In fact, the entire reason why our world is broken is because male and female roles got confused in the Garden of Eden. You ever think about it that way? When you look at what happened in Eden, they failed, Adam and Eve failed to trust and step into the roles God gave them. Adam, as the leader, was given a command, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Scripture is clear, he was with his wife when she was tempted by Satan and he did not lead her and he did not guard her and he did not protect her. He did not exercise the authority that he should have exercised in that moment. Instead, he stood next to her, allowing her to take the apple or the fruit, eat it, and then lead him into sin. As she hands it to him, and he takes a bite. So church, we have to trust the dynamics of how God created the relationship between men and women to work. We have to trust that it is good for us. And as best as we can, we need to walk in it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we walk in it as an example to the world who desperately needs redemption. And that includes how we function in our marriages. Because what we have to remember as followers of Jesus, within a marriage, God did not create roles arbitrarily. God created the roles of marriage to be a redemptive picture of Jesus and His church. We are a display of the bigger picture of what Jesus has done his church when we walk the way that God has called us to walk. and So let's focus in on that dynamic specifically from the wife's side of things. We're looking at husbands next week. Wives, don't worry. Paul's commands for how a husband and a wife are to respond to one another, they must be lived out, as I said, as a response to Jesus because apart from the framework of faith in Jesus as your worldview, the command to submit to your husband, is not acceptable to a woman's flesh. It must be received and honored in faith. In fact, if a woman tries to live out the command, submit to your husband, or a husband tries to live out the command, love your wife to the point of your own death, it will likely cause resentment in a marriage without the framework of Jesus as Lord. Because a husband is, Even the godliest of men will not always be worthy of a wife's submission. But Paul says, submit in everything. So there's moments in marriage where a wife will need to choose. Do I rebel against my husband or do I trust his leadership? That requires faith. A wife, because of her own sinfulness, will not want to submit at times. She will need to choose, do I go my own way or do I go God's way? A husband, because of his selfishness, will not want to love his wife unto death at times. And a husband will have to choose, do I fight for what I want or for her good? And a wife, even the godliest one, will not always seem worthy of the kind of love expected of a husband. So a husband will have to decide at times, do I demand my position or do I love humbly and sacrificially? And apart from faith, the response sometimes is going to be, you don't deserve submission from me. Or you don't deserve my love to that degree. But in faith, the response is, I will submit as unto the Lord I will love as unto the church because ultimately my submission or my love is about honoring the Lord. Because He is worthy of my submission. He is worthy of my pouring out of love. He is worthy of the laying down of my life. So I do it unto Him. Now, of course, I shouldn't have to say this, but Goodness in churches today you do. I'm not talking about abusive relationships. please hear that. Like I'm not talking about those relationships where the man is not loving you well, where the, the man is being abusive to you. No, God does not expect you to submit to that kind of leadership. Right? It's, it's a dual call to husband and wife. You submit, and he's laying his life down for you. Like that's easy when you live in that kind of relationship. But I'm not talking about abusive ones, okay? And so for the remainder of our time, I want to consider a woman's purpose in general. Why was she created and how it moves into marriage? And what does it mean to submit to her husband? So first, we need to understand, again, define our terms. What is marriage? And this is how I define marriage. Marriage is a covenant relationship between a man and a woman in which the two of them forsake all other earthly relationships to hold fast to one another. And in doing so, they become one flesh through complete trust and transparency and physical intimacy that is enjoyed wholeheartedly because of the covenant promise that they have made before God and one another. It is a promise that reflects Jesus' commitment to his church and the church's commitment to their Savior. So to to understand, if you want to, how I came to that definition, go back and watch or listen to the message from last January called One Flesh Naked and Unashamed. I walk through each aspect of that definition and what it actually means. But within marriage, both man and woman have a unique role that is a reflection of Jesus and his church. The man's role is a reflection of Jesus, and the woman's role is a reflection of the church. And these roles are extensions of the purpose that each has been given by God. And so we need to understand a woman's purpose to understand her call in marriage. And we know from Genesis that the creation of man and woman, it progressed in this way that God created Adam first and he gave him commands and he gave him a purpose. And then God viewed Adam being alone in the garden as not good. Creation was not complete yet. God needed someone, or sorry, Adam needed someone with him. And so God formed a woman. And the woman was created because God saw an insufficiency in man in his singularity. She was created as different yet complementary to the man. And God says of the woman's purpose in Genesis 2.18 that she is a helper who is fit for him. And so two things that we see in God's declaration about the creation of women, that she is a helper and that she is fit for him. What does that mean? Well, fit for him... In declaring that, God is saying she is proportionately equal to the man. She is a completion of him while being different than him. They correspond to one another perfectly in the same likeness and same sufficiency and same value as one another. And she is a helper. She is to come alongside to help the man complete the tasks that God has given him. To have dominion over the earth, to subdue it, to be fruitful, and to multiply. You can't do some of those things without a woman, specifically. So the woman is to help the man in the purpose that God has given them. Now, some people wrongly conclude that since the woman is in the role of helper, it implies that she's subservient to the man, but the creation story does not allow for that conclusion. In fact, in all false religions, literally all false religions, you go and read a a, a cult, you go and read any other false religion, women are disparaged in creation. They're looked upon as bad in creation. They are lessened from the man. Meanwhile, Christianity and the creation story lifts women up to say they are equally made in the image of God in the same value as men. Just different rules. The idea that a woman is lesser because she's a helper is false. In fact, just think about this. When someone needs help, who's in the weaker position? The one who needs the help or the one providing the help? It's the one who needs help that's in the weaker position. Not the one providing the help. The helper comes in and does on that one's behalf what they cannot do. That's a position of strength. That is a position of honor. The most mind-blowing thing about God's call to women as helper is it's this word Ezra that's used 21 times in the Old Testament. And every single time it's used in the positive, other than in Genesis talking about women, it's talking about God helping Israel. God is not lesser than anyone else. So a woman's role means she comes alongside, she supports, she works to help accomplish the purpose that God has given. So with that in mind, let's bring it into marriage. Last week, we looked at what it means to be filled by the Spirit of God and some of the evidences of that infilling. You might remember that one of those evidences is willing submission. Ephesians 5.21 Paul starts by talking about the church. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When you're filled with the Spirit in Jesus' church, you will willingly submit to one another out of reverence for Him. And then Paul continues and he brings that into marriage as a reflection of the woman's role, Paul's saying, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God to be able to do this well, not in your own power, not in your flesh. And he says, 22 to 24, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So we have to understand that a woman's submission to her husband is evidence of the Spirit of God dwelling in her. When there is joyful, willing submission in marriage, it is impediment Powered by God's Spirit. See, the creation to- story tells us that as a result of the fall, the woman's desire, which is twisted from sin, would be to be contrary to her husband, but he would rule over her. So one of the evidences of the fall is a woman's desire to lord over her husband and usurp his leadership. But Paul says, a mark of the Spirit of God is willing submission to his leadership. Because through Jesus, through the Spirit of God, he is redeeming his creation to what it was meant to be. So again, we must understand a wife's role of submission in marriage is about order and it is about design, it is not an issue of equality or value. Equality and value have already been established in the creation. What Paul is doing here is he's establishing order in marriage that reflects order in the creation, that reflects order in Jesus' church. And I think we would all argue that One person needs to lead in every situation. Like both people can't lead. One has to lead. And God has given that call to the man. J.H. Yoder says, There is no difference in worth, but in the family, for its order and its unity, there must be leadership. And the responsibility of leadership is that of the husband and father. A wife's role, like in creation, is to support her husband's leadership and help him in it for the good of their family, and for the good of the community, and for the good of however far their influence reaches together. John Piper, I love his definition of submission. He says, submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. I love that. Help carry it through according to her gifts. The world would say, if you're submitting to your husband, it means you have to become lesser than who you actually are. No! God's Word would say, in submitting to your husband, you actually become who you were meant to be. And you get to use the fullness of your gifts that God has entrusted to you in a way that you wouldn't if you're trying to usurp. Like It is actually for your good and the way God created things to work. You get to use the gifts and the talents that God gave you, and they work best in the way that he created marriage. And so let's, let's tease that out a little bit, because there's confusion around the idea of submission, right? It gets confused with what would be considered social gender roles. Right? Sometimes women think submission means that they have to twist themselves to fit perfectly with expected gender roles, like in the home, raising kids, You know, just picture your 1950s housewife and that's what we think submission means. That's not what he's after. That's not what God is after. The reality is, it's not about specific functions. It's about honoring your position in the way God created you. A woman can function in any responsibility in society, but if she has accepted the responsibility of wife, and mother, they should be her first concern amongst whatever else she does. And the same is true for the man. Proverbs 31 is an excellent example. The Proverbs 31 woman. She is a wife who is living out her giftings. She is a wife who is living out in submission to her husband. She is fully who she is. And she is a woman that is a combination of traditional And less traditional skills. Like this woman has her hand in so many things. You can just go through this. She works with her hands. She provides food for her family. She purchases land. She plants a vineyard. She sells merchandise at market. She provides clothes. She gives to the poor. She speaks with wisdom. She teaches with kindness. She runs her household well. Now women, don't go through this going, wait, I got to be all those things? No, I'm saying Look at all the different things that this woman is doing. She has different giftings. They don't all fit into this idea of gender roles. It's very, like all over the place, the different things that she's doing. And that's how we should view it. A woman's submission to her husband is not about you having to squeeze into specific roles within marriage. Your submission to your husband is about your heart's posture towards him as the head of the house not specifically what you do. As a wife, you are functioning out of honor for your husband and doing what you do to help and come alongside. Like women, let's be honest. You know, you know in your heart when you are doing something to usurp your husband's authority. You're going to know it in your heart. It's going to fire off if you're submitted to Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit in you. That's what it's about. It's about your heart posture. You could be doing any number of things in submission to your husband. And you could be doing any number of things to intentionally usurp your husband's authority. And you know the difference. In your heart, you do. And God's after that heart. God's after that posture. A woman's submission to her husband is as to the Lord. So consider the motivations of that. Consider the outworkings of submission to the Lord. And it will give you an understanding of what it should look like in marriage. What does it look like for a woman to submit as to the Lord? Well, submission to the Lord is, is not blind obedience. Submission to the Lord is not a heavy burden. It's rooted in trust. It's not done begrudgingly, but willingly. It's hopefully joy-filled, hopefully life-giving. It brings confidence. It brings freedom. And this is what submission for a wife in marriage should bring as well. And it becomes a lot easier when the husband responds in the proper way to his wife. As Christ is the head of his body, the church, the husband is the head of his wife. But how did Christ relate to his church? He related to her as her savior, for her good, laying his life down for her. Now, I'm in no way saying the husband is the Savior of his wife. He's not. There is one Savior. The correlation between a husband and Jesus doesn't go that far, but he is to love her in that kind of spirit, the spirit of Christ's love for his church. Like Just as we end, I want to read Philippians 2. Like, Men, read this in relation to your call as husbands. In the- A godly man though he is given leadership will not count his position as something to be grasped onto. But he will empty himself and he will take on the form of a servant in his leadership. He will humble himself for the sake of his wife out of obedience to God to the point of laying his life down and i can tell you because god's word is clear about it that that's the kind of leadership that it is very easy to submit to that is the kind of leadership that allows wives to come under the authority of their husbands joyfully Because they understand that he views them as loved, as cherished, as a daughter of God deserves to be. And being under that kind of authority is as being under the Lord. And so, wives, I know there's a lot of messaging that would say the opposite, and I only have 40 minutes but I pray that you would allow the Word of God to direct you in how you respond to your husband. And my encouragement to the wives in here this week would be to examine your heart. As I say, we, you will know when you're doing things to try and usurp your husband or when you're doing things out of a gentle and a humble spirit in partnership with your husband. And if, if you find it's the former, that it's out of this place of wanting to take the lead, wanting to usurp, then I would encourage you take a step back. Examine why that's happening. That may be a conversation you need to have with your husband. Maybe there's a lack of trust there. Maybe there's a lack of leadership there. There's so many dynamics that can be at work. This is not easy. It's easy to preach. Well, it's not that easy to preach. It's easier to preach than it is to live out. But there's going to be a lot of dynamics at play. But it doesn't mean that God's Word doesn't have it right. And so if, if you need help in that, what that looks like in your marriage, I would love to help you in that. To help walk you through what that could look like. To live that out in a healthy way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your design of marriage. And Lord, I thank You that it is a reflection of of Jesus and His church. It is a beautiful picture of the redemptive reality of what You're doing in the lives of human beings. Father, I pray for every wife in here. I pray for an infilling of Your Spirit. I pray that she would have a trust in her husband, in the leadership that You have naturally given him. I pray that she would seek you on behalf of her husband. Pray for him. Lift him up, not tear him down. Encourage him in whatever way she can. Father, I pray for humility in here. That we would come to your word and allow it to form us, not what the world says. And Father, I pray that we would be men who are worthy of that kind of trust. That we would be men who are willing to lay our lives down for what you have given us. Father, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for your patience over our lives when we won't always get this right. Father, I just pray for some in this room. God, I just feel like I need to pray for a return to your design. There are those in this room that have lost trust in it. Father, I pray that you would bring them back. Do the work that needs to be done, Lord, to, to work that complication out. Thank you for your mercies that are new every day. In Jesus' name.